For those who are new with us today, we've been looking at Leviticus and we've been looking at each of the five offerings in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And so there might be some details that I'm not going to mention today in my talk because I've covered them in other sermons. But today I would like to focus in on the purpose of what is called the sin offering and learn that it's all about forgiveness. So there's a bit of a spoiler. It's all about forgiveness. But let me pray before we look at the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we've just heard the word proclaimed through the reading. And we do pray that we will indeed hear it as your words. And we also, Lord, pray that we hear them as words that are still relevant for our discipleship today. For all your scriptures are living and useful for discipleship. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Corrie Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust concentration camp, dedicated her life to traveling and proclaiming the good news of forgiveness. She told the stories of losing her family members in the war and how she had to release the bitterness and anger that welled up within her. In her life, she said, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. She also said that God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. Later on in her life, Corrie met one of the concentration camp guards. After struggling to face him, she forgave him. And then she embraced him. And as the guard recognized that she, he had forgiven her, they wept together, holding each other in each other's arms. She said, I forgive you, brother, she cried. Corey and the former guard grasped each other and encountered the all-forgiving love that flows from God. Forgiveness is at the heart of the biblical message. Oswald Chambers called forgiveness the divine miracle of grace. The divine miracle. It's a miracle. Think about that. Charles Spurgeon proclaimed that forgiveness is an act of pure mercy, and to that mercy the awakened sinner flies. He wants to get as close to that mercy as possible because forgiveness enables us to draw near into the presence of God. Dwight Moody said that the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is much louder. And Billy Graham said that forgiveness obliterates the past and permits us to enter the new land of new beginnings. In other words, forgiveness gives us a second chance at life, a fresh start. Forgiveness is the gift of second chances given to those who are damaged by sin but recognise their sinfulness. And in Leviticus 4 and 5 today, we will learn about the forgiveness that God offers sinners. And so the big idea is really simple. Ready? God forgives sinners. Has everyone got that? God forgives sinners. But before we look at this together, this forgiveness, this great message of the gospel that Jesus ultimately fulfills, let me just give you a brief recap. In the first talk, four weeks ago now, we learned that the burnt offering is all about reconciliation. We're able to draw near into the presence of God because Christ became the ultimate burnt offering for our sin. 
Second sermon we learnt three weeks ago that the grain offering is all about remembrance. As people brought this bread to the Lord, God remembered his covenant with them. And that also was fulfilled in Christ. Last week, or two weeks ago, we learnt that the fellowship offering is all about relationship. God created a meal for his people to enjoy so that they could eat and feast in his presence. And we saw that that was fulfilled in the Lord's Supper as we eat and feast in the presence of God and thank God for all that he's done in Christ. And today, the sin offering is all about remission, which is another word for forgiveness. And so what is a sin offering? The phrase sin offering comes from the word kata. Can everyone say that? Kata which means to miss the mark. Sin really means to miss the mark or to cause offence. To cause offence. And so the sin offering was a sacrifice offered when the Israelites violated the holy standards of God, when the Israelites missed the mark that God had called them to, a certain way of life that God had called them to. When Israel failed, they missed that standard. And so sin had to be dealt with if Israel were to remain the covenant people of God. And so what do we learn from Leviticus 4 and 5? I'd like to pull out three points. We're not going to be able to look at every single detail, which is hard for me because I'm very like, I want to see, I want to go through every verse, but I can't today because there's just so much to talk about. I've boiled it down to three things I'd like to share with you today. And the first thing that I'd like to um, show you is that the sin offering was used for unintentional sins not just sins unintentional sins the purpose of the sin offering here was not designed to cover any sin the offering was designed to cover sins that were committed by accident and so what are these accidental sins well there's a list in chapter 5 if you go to chapter 5 verse 1 you'll see that failing to testify about the sin of another person is an unintentional sin Verses 2 to 3 of chapter 5, touching something considered unclean was an unintentional sin. And verse 4, thoughtlessly making promises, oaths, whether good or bad, was also an unintentional sin. The point is that Israel was responsible for all her sins, intentional or not. All sin, if it's accidental or done on purpose, is a falling short of God's holy standard in the commonwealth, the community of Israel. And it's not hard for us to understand this. Hands up if you're married. A few of you, there's a few here that are married, great. You have likely made promises to your spouse that you have failed to keep. Hands up if that's still you. Yep, thanks for being honest. Husbands, you might say to your wives, I'll be there five minutes flat for dinner. And you come in half an hour later You sit at the table and it's dead silent. You are in trouble, friend. You have not honoured your word. Your wife has made you this lovely meal. Or maybe it's the other way around. Your husband has made this lovely meal. You promised to be there on time, but you failed. That is an unintentional sin. Daughters, your father might ask, can you please clean your room? Or your mother might ask you, if you're the son here, Please clean your room. You reply, I'll definitely tidy it this weekend. Two weeks later, your mum and dad walks into your bedroom and there is just carpet. You can't even see the carpet anymore. There's just a flood of clothes everywhere and it stinks. It's dirty clothes, particularly from the farm. 
Mothers, there has also been times where you say to your sons, stop weeing on the seat. Due to shame, they ask, they say, I'll make sure I lift the seat next time. So that's a son speaking. During the middle of the night, you sit on the toilet in frustration for you realise your bum is wet. We all commit unintentional sins. And for the people of Israel, things like thoughtless promises demanded a sacrifice. That's how much holiness mattered to God. So I'd like to point out the second point. The second point is this. The sin offering was treated like an unclean person. The sin offering was treated like an unclean person. Unlike the sin offering of the elders and members of Israel that were partially eaten by the priests, the offering of the priests and the entire community of Israel was actually different. After the priests burnt the fat of the young bull on the altar, we need a cow next week if that's right, as they burnt the fat on the altar, the rest was taken to a clean place outside the camp. There the whole beast would be burned in a wood fire on an ash heap. Chapter 4, verse 12. Why on earth was a sin offering taken outside the camp? Why was this offering taken outside the place where the Israelites dwelt? Well, in Leviticus, most, most things that are contaminated are to be taken outside the camp. Sin is treated like an infectious disease or bacteria that spreads through people and communities. And so if a person had leprosy, he had to dwell outside the camp. If a person was to be stoned to death, it happened outside the camp. If someone had the potential of making another person unclean, that person had to be taken outside the camp. And we can kind of understand this. We all went through lockdowns two years ago. And when the church opened up, people had to be taken outside the camp to isolate from the rest of the community so that we wouldn't be infected with the COVID-19 disease, the virus. This is kind of like what's happening in Leviticus. In ancient Israel, unclean people were taken outside of the camp if their holiness or their wholeness was compromised. But why would a sacrifice be placed outside the camp? There's a reason. The sin of the offerer is in a sense being transferred to the offering. Did you hear that? The impurity of the worshipper is being assigned to the purity of the sacrifice. The flawless young bull becomes flawed for he takes the blame the sinner deserves. Like a criminal being killed outside the camp, the carcass of the substitute suffers the death that a sinner deserves. And so what was the result of the sin offering? This brings me to the third point that I'd like to share with you. The sin offering enabled a person to be forgiven. After an offerer realized their guilt, confessed their sin and offered up a sacrifice, Leviticus 4 and 5 teaches that they would be forgiven Verse 26 of chapter 4, verse 31 of chapter 4, verse 35 of chapter 4, verse 13 of chapter 5. It keeps on, keeps on saying, forgiven. If you follow these particular reg regulations, Israel, you will be forgiven. 
Four times God declares this word, the priest will make atonement and then they will be forgiven. The ultimate effect of the sin offering is total forgiveness, the full remission of sin for the people of Israel. Through the spotless sacrifice of an innocent victim, pity was granted, sin was purged, mercy was displayed, absolution was given, offences were pardoned, transgressions were acquitted, the unholy man or woman was delivered, forgiveness was obtained in full. Our God is in the business of forgiveness. And through his great charity, he unshackles his people from the chains of sin. He cancels their debt. He provides full remission because he wants his people to draw near into his presence and be one with him and enjoy community with him and enjoy fellowship with him. God longs to forgive his people. In a sense, Leviticus for a sinful Israel is a book full of good news. It is Pointing yes to Jesus, but for them, this was good news because a sacrifice could be offered to take away the sin of the sinner. Our God is the God of forgiveness. And he invented forgiveness for a reason. I love what one scholar says. He says, he invented forgiveness as the only way to keep his romance with the fallen human family alive. I love that. To keep the romance alive with a fallen humanity alive. But even though the sin offering did not have the power to keep that romance alive, God found a way to keep it alive. And the answer comes back to the gospel, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus is the perfect, undefiled, unpolluted sin offering for a broken, tainted, spoiled humanity. God loves you that much. Entering our human chaos, Jesus exposed our unintentional sins and called all people to repent and believe the gospel. Even though people accused Jesus of blaspheming and said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus never denied that he could. He never denied his divinity. Even though his own people questioned his authority in their ignorance, Jesus said all the sins and blasphemies of man will be forgiven. He says that in Mark 3.28. Apart from that one sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit which is to basically say, I don't believe God. As the influence of Jesus spread throughout the ancient world, his ignorant opposition became more aggressive, leading to his ultimate betrayal at the hands of a beloved disciple by the name of Judas. The next day, Jesus was trialed like a criminal and then taken away to suffer the death of one who was placed outside the camp. He died at a place outside Israel, the walls of Israel, in a place called the Skull. Jesus died at Golgotha, outside the camp. Like a villain executed by stones outside the camp of Israel in ancient times, Jesus was hammered to a cross to die beside two robbers as a criminal. Like a criminal that is despised and rejected, Jesus became a man of suffering, one from whom people hide their faces. But despite the ignorance of his persecutors, 
Jesus continued to hold out hope for them. Hear the words of our most merciful King. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus claimed their ignorance before God the Father and said, forgive them. Before the God of mercy, his body was then sacrificed on the altar of the cross to atone for the sins of ignorant people. And so God turned our ignorance into a gift of grace. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What wonderful news of amazing grace. We can be forgiven forever because of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, Hebrews tells us. And Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his blood, Hebrews 13, 12. So this is our takeaway. God offers us total forgiveness to sinners through the blood of his son. And so I'd like to ask you, is this good news for you? This is at the heart of the gospel. Is this good news for you? Peter the Apostle says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe in Jesus and his all-sufficient sacrifice? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Paul the Apostle also said, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Have your sins been forgiven? If you have repented and believed the gospel, praise the Lord before the God of amazing grace, your debts are paid. Your life is justified. Your crimes are acquitted. Your offenses are forgotten. You are forgiven. You are fully forgiven. I don't know how to put this in English, but you're just forgiven fully. You can actually be in relationship with God now. Oh. But I would like to not stop there because there's an implication of this forgiveness. There's a fruit of forgiveness. Remission of sin results in something. Like Israel, who is made whole through the sprinkling of blood before the curtain, we too are made whole by Jesus, the restorer of sinful people. In other words, forgiveness makes us whole. The Bible says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You were once a broken person. You might still have aspects of your brokenness, but before God, you are now made whole again. Through our forgiveness in Christ, you are healed, in the words of Isaiah. Or you are cleansed, you are restored, you are completed, you are made whole. You become a person who is, in my words, fully alive. Fully alive. 
But in our present generation, we act like God's life-giving forgiveness is not enough, I fear. We are inundated with advertising that promises to fill our emptiness. From toothpaste or deodorants or where we live or what cars we drive, we are living in this state of constant marketing that makes us feel miserable about ourselves. Throughout all this media manipulation, we become unsatisfied and we live like we are not fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We might begin to lust after playboy experiences. We might buy the lie that self-expression is the only way to fulfillment. We may wander through life like consumers and producers that what we are is what we acquire. And that is our worth if we are productive. There is no fulfillment in things like sexual hedonism, expressive individualism, and materialistic consumerism. Our broken lives can only experience life lived to the full through Jesus and the forgiveness he offers. But do not let this concept of restorative forgiveness be unpractical. The fruit of our forgiveness is deeply experiential. It should have a concrete impact upon our lives. Being fully alive in Christ means to fully enjoy his love, fully experience his life, fully relate to him as our brother and Lord, fully embody his presence in our lives. Someone said to me once, Christians are really little Christs. We're conforming ourselves to the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being, we're like people being renovated and being made who we are called to be, people who are whole. The person who has been made alive through the blood of Christ is therefore full of joy, full of peace, full of love, full of Jesus. The church who is restored by Christ does all that God intends them to be. Such a church is fully alive, flourishing, proclaiming and living the gospel in all of life. When I was a youth pastor four years ago at a church called Camden Haven Anglican Church, um, one of our hashtags for our youth group was Christ Every Day. And I want to share that with you today. This is what the full life is. It's Christ Every Day. That's our hashtag. That's our anthem. We're being forgiven so that we conform to Christ every day. And so in sum, this is your takeaway. God offers us total forgiveness in Christ and that forgiveness makes us fully alive in Christ. The gospel does actually change you. But if you do not feel complete, made new, changed, full of a life, perhaps you have not yet repented believe the gospel. The gospel does not transform the lives of those who have not surrendered all to Jesus. If that is you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and believe the gospel. So I want to press that upon your heart. And I want to ask you one more time, do you believe? Have you believed the gospel? Are you forgiven? Are you fully alive? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Leviticus points us to Christ and we thank you that in Christ we no longer need to offer up sacrifices 
of bulls and goats and sheep, but Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for sins that we may now be forgiven. And we thank you that that forgiveness makes us truly alive. And so, Lord, we do pray that you make us whole in Christ. Make us who we are called to be. May we conform to the image of Christ. May we be made whole. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.